Well, good morning, Covidian onlineers. So good to uh, be together again, and I'm glad that you, you've tuned in. I'm really excited. We're starting a new um, series today and uh, working our way through the summer, Lord willing, and that's in the book, uh, the letters of First and Second Peter. And uh, I, I really believe this is going to be really encouraging for all of us and, and, and help us during this time. The title of it is Hope for Hard Times. And, uh, you know, a big question today, of course, is where's your hope? Um, what are you hoping in? Where are you focusing your hope? Is it um, uh, on getting past this uh, particular time and back to normal? Is it uh, that you will last long enough and not get laid off from your job or that you will get your job back? Or, or are you hoping that you won't, uh, won't get ill? Um, are you hoping that that the plans that you have for vacation are going to happen? Uh, are you hoping that you won't get sick or that you'll get better uh, if you are sick? Um, are, are you hoping uh, for that special anniversary that's coming up or uh, just in general feeling more comfortable about the way things are? Um, I, I think you'll agree with me that this time is really testing all of us in terms of the source of our hope. And, and today, I, I want to look at the whole idea in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, uh, with respect to the question, are you searching for hope or are you settled in your hope? And how that question is answered is of critical importance no matter what era or what time of life you're in. That question, are you searching for hope or are you settled in your hope? Uh, what if what you hope for doesn't happen? It's uh, one of the things that devastates people in hard times is putting hope in things that won't happen or don't happen. Misplaced optimism. In his book, Good to Great, Jim Collins references Vice Admiral James Stockdale. James Stockdale was a prisoner of war in the Vietnamese War uh, for seven years. And he was asked the question uh, once he was released from prison, uh, from being a POW, he was asked the question with respect to who survived POW captivity and who didn't. And he said this, the answer is easy, that's easy, the optimists. The optimists didn't survive. And here's why. They would look forward to the idea that maybe we'll be out of prison by Christmas. And Christmas would come and go and they weren't out. Or they, they would look for Easter. Well, maybe by Easter. I'm hoping, putting my hopes on the fact that I'll be out at Easter. Easter would go by and, and, and they wouldn't be out. Then Thanksgiving and on and on it would go. And, and ultimately they would become demoralized and devastated and despondent and die. And um, because they had placed all their hopes on a reversal of certain circumstances. In fact, this, this same phenomenon happened in World War II. In the... Uh, Christmas of 1944 in the uh, concentration camps, right following that Christmas of 1944, there was a massive die-off of, of the uh, people in the concentration camps. Nothing had changed. The food hadn't changed. Their regimens hadn't changed. Their exercise, uh, nothing had changed. The only thing that had changed is they were living for release at Christmas of 1944 and it didn't happen. So um, in Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, 
he coined uh, what he calls the Stockdale Paradox from a quote from James Stockdale, whereby he said, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. In other words, do not allow the things in which you are uncertain to ever replace or displace the hope you have in the things that you are certain of. Make certain your hope rests on what is absolutely certain. Otherwise, life will make you miserable. And so today we want to explore this whole subject from a biblical perspective of hope. And uh, because the book of Peter, or the letters of Peter, are all about helping believers face rough times in the right way. Uh, hard times, actually, and you know this, are a major theme of the scriptures. And they are for a reason. Because God's good world has been disrupted. It's been devastated by the fatal actions of sin. That's why Paul in the book of Romans writes that all of creation groans because it's been subjected to, to the destructive effects of sin. A planet that is rebellious toward God. And so rough times come with the territory of simply being alive on this broken, fallen world. Your own sin and my own sin compounded with the fact that this world is, is a world of sin makes our life miserable or will if we don't place our hope in the right place. And so um, the question that I want to explore this searching for hope or settled in hope from, from the book of Peter and the biblical principle of confronting the reality of hard times, um, we want to explore the question, first of all, how bad can it get in our lives? Uh, what's, what kind of worst case scenarios uh, can we expect? Well, when we consider the life of Christ, uh, I, I think this phrase that Andy Stanley uh, coined is, is appropriate. Since the worst possible thing happened to the best possible person, we should prepare ourselves in our lives for the absolute worst. When we ask the question, why do good things or bad things happen to good people? I mean, we come back to that phrase about Jesus. The worst possible thing happened to the best possible person because this world of ours is a broken, fallen, sinful world. How to live in it. How to make the best of it. How to, how to live a life of, of joy and, and, and hope um, in this world that we live in. If we consider Jesus in the book of Hebrews 12 too, the writer there says, Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Base all of your hope in what will be, not in what might be. So, since suffering is a major theme of the scriptures, and life brings lots of suffering our way in hard times, it's imperative for us to learn how to live the right way in hard times. So how do we do that? Those searching for hope, placing it in the temporary, will not su succeed. But those who place their hope or, or are settled in their hope, thrive. And that's the message of Peter. 
So before we dive into the text, let's open in prayer. Father, I pray this morning as we are gathered around the Word of God, uh, huddled in our various places in isolation uh, with all kinds of circumstances that differ from each other, some, Lord, uh, struggling with greater hardship than others. But most of us understand the need for us to have hope and thrive on hope and be sustained by hope. In fact, the world is looking for hope and most of it in all the wrong places, in all the wrong circumstances. So our Father, I pray this morning that your word will laser our hearts and our minds on our sure hope what uh, the Apostle Peter wanted to make certain that the early believers uh, understood that they might thrive, uh, succeed, excel in a life surrounded by hard times, filled with hope. So Lord, help us to do that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right. So by way of introduction to the, the letters of Peter, just a few thoughts. Um, you, you know, when we're, we're putting a setting, when we're thinking about a biblical setting, and in particular the persecution of the early Christians, uh, the time that Peter was writing, uh, Nero was the emperor, and Nero was an incredibly wicked emperor of Rome. This is the time where Rome was basically munching uh, geography, geography after geography, um, had by this time reached Britain and had, um, had taken control uh, other than some rebellious outbreaks in, in Britain and was expanding its reach. Um, this is likely, uh, this, these letters are likely written in the early 60s AD, 62, 61 maybe, um, because uh, by 64 and 65 AD, uh, the great fire had occurred in Rome. Peter makes no mention of that, so it's likely it was written before that. And then great persecution broke out um, across the Roman Empire as uh, Nero uh, used Christians as scapegoats uh, for the fire that happened in Rome. And so, uh, you know, the, the Christians were under extreme persecution. They were considered atheists, actually, because they didn't believe in the Roman gods. Uh, but to put it in perspective, you know, when we think about, well, you know, their times were significantly harder than ours, and, and I'm not prepared to, 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 to use the comparative game here because how do we know for certain? But, but we all need to understand that, that according to Open Doors, every single day, 11 people are murdered on our planet for becoming Christians. Every single day, 11 people. So persecution and hardship with respect to being a Christian is still happening at, in, in great ways, in serious ways, and is going to escalate. I think we all know that. And so we have this setting. Um, he writes, it says in the text, he writes to the uh, believers who are scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, all provinces of Asia Minor, now modern Turkey. We all know, we also know historically that um, in, in Cappadocia, for instance, it's, it's known for its underground cities where people spent their whole lifetime underground. Uh, their livestock, they were, they were having to grow things underground. They, they were, they were uh, uh, isolated underground. And history itself uh, 
disagrees with why that was so, whether it was persecution as Christians or marauders by enemy forces. <coughs> Excuse me, but at, at any rate, this was a time uh, of great persecution. And so I want to um, uh, dig into the text with a question or with a statement. Hang your hope in hard times right here in this text. So let's look at it this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, we're gonna look, only going to look at two verses today, but they are packed verses uh, to give us hope. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. What a salutation. What a way to open up a letter. How amazing is this. So if we're hanging our hope in hard times right here in the text, first of all, we need to sort of get some authority. Who says, who says we should have hope? Well, Peter states here that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. Who says? Says who? Says Jesus Christ. This is Christ's teaching to us. The, the, uh, the apostle Peter was representing the Lord Jesus Christ, representing the message given to him by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The authority, it doesn't get any higher than that in terms of giving to us authority. For, for Peter... Uh, who himself was deemed the founder of the church movement. We know that, that, that Paul was church planter par excellence and, and doctrine giver, but Peter is the founder and the father of the church. And, and Peter is endowed here with authority from Jesus Christ. To Peter, Jesus Christ was the center of all of his life, of everything that, that made life worth living and everything that, that would be able to describe who Peter is. The, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ gave meaning to Peter's life. I, I wonder if that could be said of, of me. I wonder if that could be said of us. It needs to be said of us. Jesus Christ is the center of our lives. That he died and rose again brings everything, every facet of meaning to living, to life. And so he writes to the Christians in the provinces here by the authority of Jesus Christ. And then um, he addresses some interesting descriptions of the people. He talks about them being strangers or sojourners or scattered. In other words, he talks to them now about I want to address your temporary mess. You are aliens. You are scattered. And I want you to understand that, that this might become, this, this temporary mess might become your permanent earthly predicament. And what if it is? What, what then? What if this is your earthly reality in Christ? Can you still have hope? If the persecution that you're facing and the uh, being, being scattered and being 
being separated and isolated is, is permanent. Your permanent earthly lot. What then? Can you still be hopeful? What about us? What about us in our living conditions? Let's break down some of these words. It literally states here, to God's resident, residents who are aliens, this word for strangers is aliens, uh, in the world actually isn't even in the original text. The NIV has chosen to put it in there to, to help bring some understanding. But to God's resident aliens, and the word, next word is diaspora, the scattered ones, ones who are scattered. Now, when we think of aliens, we think of those who, who are not citizens. And Peter wants them and us to consider the reality of our earthly existence. We are citizens of another world. We are resident aliens of this world. We are not citizens. We were made for another world. If, if you find yourself entirely dissatisfied with, with this world, uh, then you're in good company because that's who we are. We're not satisfied with this world. We, we feel out of place in this world. We are resident aliens, not citizens of this world. And, and the idea of scattered or diaspora was certainly a, a word well known to the Jews who were continually scattered throughout the Old Testament. And now here again they find themselves scattered away from their family uh, in, in hiding, running away. And here they are scattered like lost sheep. The idea of this word is like lost sheep or like chaff that is blowing in the wind. Unsettled. You should feel unsettled. We should feel unsettled. Quite frankly, much of the reason we struggle to find the kind of hope that Jesus wants us to have is because we are trying too hard to settle and become citizens of this world. Too many of us are, and, and, and this moment in our lives for many of us who have not really faced uh, much by way of struggle are finding out right now where our hope really lies. Have we been putting uh, much or most of our hope in, in, our, in the things of this world, in the settled ways of this world, in being citizens of the way things are here and, and we become more comfortable with the way things were, the way things are than, than the world that we should be looking for? That's what's presented to us here. We are resident aliens. Jesus popularized the idea when he said in John 15, 19, you are not of this world. And that's why the world hates you. So um, you should not put your hope here. Don't confuse your faith with your current reality. Whether it's sickness or unemployment or hurt or abandoned or rejected. Make certain that you haven't put your faith on those things. Rather, he says um, in the text, verse two, who have been, now, now he gets to the, the idea of what is your permanent status? Okay, that's your temporary mess, but what's your permanent status? Who have been chosen? Your permanent reality is chosen. Eklektos, 
in the original language whereby we use the word election or elected. You are and, and I, if we know Jesus Christ, we belong to Christ, we have been chosen. We are literally a elect, resident, aliens scattered in this world. We are not where we want to be, but we are whose we want to be. We are not abandoned. We are not forgotten. We are not accidental. We are not random. We are not party crashers. We are not without status. We are not nobody outsiders. We are actually intentionally, and in this is what the word means, intentionally selected by God to belong to him and not to this world. We are chosen out of this world to belong to God, not to be settled in this world. And if our hope is discombobulated at this moment, it's because we've missed who we really are and more particularly, whose we really are. We have been particularly selected And he uses the rest, Peter uses the rest of his letter to describe how this happens and how we can be secure and how we can know who we are and how we can be sure of who we are. If you are one who belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ, then this is for you what Peter has to say now. Listen, this is for you. Hope in hard times is for people who love Jesus. Did you hear that? Hope in hard times is for people who love Jesus, who are selected by him and who are loved by him. And if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior, that, then, then we're talking to you. Peter is writing this letter to you this morning to inject you all over again with fullness of hope. In whatever circumstance you're in, unemployment, sickness, isolation, loneliness, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, if you are selected by Jesus to be one of his, then he is writing to give you hope. Hope that... Every one of us can have no matter what our circumstances are. If you belong to Jesus, you are not just hanging by a thread, beloved. this, This is so amazing. This text is so phenomenal, so wonderful, so awesome. To to strengthen our resolve, to strengthen our security, to strengthen our confidence in how tightly held. We are in the family of God. So how secure then is your hope? How full of hope should you be? You who are chosen, look at the text now, verse two. You who have been chosen are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. You have been selected based on the determined will of God. This is um, 
by the way, we learn this is what took place before time even began. In Ephesians 1, 4 and uh, 11, verse 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, before the foundation of the world. In verse 11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. You have been selected by God according to his predetermined plan and will. That's what it means to be based on the foreknowledge of God or according to the foreknowledge of God. One day I walked into an adult class that was being taught by another person, not myself, an adult Sunday school class. And not in this church. And uh, I, I sat down and I listened to the individual was going to be teaching about how, um, how we came to know God. And uh, he, he taught the individuals that um, they came to know God by the fact that God knew all things. And so God looked down, because God was omniscient, or, uh, omniscient God looked down through the corridors of time and uh, chose those who were choosing him. Now you can imagine my head just about exploded at that moment. That is not what this means, although it is, frankly, one of the major uh, interpretations or understandings of what foreknowledge of God means. Foreknowledge doesn't mean that, that God uh, ha- had, had somehow created the world and, and, and he knows all things, but he's not powerful to do anything about all things, so he just, he just sits back and knows the future, and, and, and because he knows the future, he can interpret the present. That's not how it works. The foreknowledge of God has everything to do with the fact that for, for God to know is for God to do. The sovereign God who determines the future is also himself aware of his plans. You can't have two choosings. If in fact we chose God and that's why he chose us, then in fact it's not really God who chose us, it's we who chose him. The Bible doesn't teach that in in any possible way. In fact, there would be no grace to the fact that if we chose God and he simply knew in the future that we were going to choose him, then actually he owes us salvation because we chose him. That's not what the the scriptures teach at all. It's an act of his loving grace before even time in his foreknowledge based on the determined will of God. He selected you and me to be in his family, God the Father. The determined will of God the Father to call out his family, to bring his family into existence before the world, before the foundation of the world. That's the ultimate. Our chosenness is the ultimate in planned parenthood. And God the Father is our Father. But here's what it says. He chose us according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, and then through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. So before time, God selected his family. Now, by the way, he didn't deselect anyone else. He just simply selected his family because the other side of the word of God says, whosoever will may come. Let's understand that. God God 
never presents the case where anyone is outside of the realm of possibility of coming to know God. But it says here now that before time, of course, in his foreknowledge, he selected us. Now in time, but by the way, before our, even our conversion, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, he brought us to life. Now I understand, again, the, the immensity of this theology. What is happening here is that, is that the Bible teaches us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. What that simply means is we have no capacity within and of ourselves to respond to God, to come to faith in God, to believe in Jesus Christ, to, to obey the gospel, to follow the gospel. We have nothing within ourselves because we are dead. But God in his foreknowledge, chose us, elected us, selected us into his family. And because we were born dead in our trespasses and sins, he commissioned his Holy Spirit to cause us to come alive so that we might embrace the truth of of Christ. God chooses to bring spiritual life to us. And how does he do that? By separating us from our sin so that he can bring us into his family. Not because of anything we have done, but because of God's purposes in election. Listen to um, how uh, the Apostle Paul records this in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse 13. But we ought always to thank God for you Believers, brothers loved by the Lord because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Our conversion, before we, before we were even converted, God set us apart, the sanctifying set us apart for his holy purposes. He cleaned us up, regenerated us. The initial work of that, that's, that's the initial sanctifying work. There is ongoing sanctifying work, develops over time and deepens by the Spirit through further evidence. Now, so before time, God the Father, remember we're, we're building a case for hope. How hopeful should I be today, right now, regardless of my circumstance? Let's not lose sight of that. Before even time began, before the foundation of the world, God the Father selected you. Before you were even converted because you were dead in your trespasses and sins, he commissioned the Holy Spirit to quicken you or bring you to life, regenerate you, in order for you to be set apart, taken from your sins, set apart to the family of God. And here's the purpose. For obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Here's the purpose. Why did God do all of this? Why did God make the Holy Spirit's work operative in our lives? So that we would be able to obey Jesus because we are saved. In order to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. We were selected, we were set apart 
to be saved and to have the blood of Jesus Christ sprinkled on us. In other words, God called us into his family, quickened us, made us alive by the Holy Spirit in order that we might be able to obey the truth of the gospel about Jesus Christ. That we might be able to to believe by faith in who Jesus is and who you are in Christ. That first we would be able to confess Jesus as Lord and to turn from ourselves to Christ. That we would be able to to respond to the demands of the gospel. That we would become children of obedience, as Peter later writes, shaped by the truth. You'll notice that, that all persons of the Trinity are engaged in this great work of our salvation that that God individualized his concern and intention for you. Each of, this description applies individual, isn't a group issue. This is an individual attention by the triune God in your life before even the foundation of time. You were picked selected by God, made alive out of the deadness of your sins, and enabled to obey the gospel to believe in Jesus Christ that you might be saved. Wow. The initial evidence, of course, is is the enablement for you to believe it all. When you're you're looking around at your friends or family who your hearts are burdened over, you're like, why? Why can't they believe? This seems so simple. the, the ability to believe must come from God. Well, when you consider you know, certain people and you think they're so hard, they'll, they'll, never, they'll never respond to the gospel. They're too, they're too far from God. Each one of us were too far from God. Each one of us were too hardened from, on the gospel. Each of us had to be saved this way. Every single one of us. Since, since the, 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 uh, the uh, gospel became available itself, each one of us. And so we are, first of all, enabled, and, and the evidence that we are being saved by God is our ability to believe, which moves us quickly to a, a desire to be baptized, to, to give public evidence of the, the, the work that God has done in our lives Move to identify with Christ by faith, unavailable to those who reject the truth. And when this happens, God sprinkles on us, not literally, but theologically, and uh, in reality, God sprinkles on us the blood of Christ, just like was sprinkled on the door frames of the Passover. Uh, Just like as the writer describes in the Old Testament, that when Moses had, uh, I'm looking at Hebrews 9 verse 19, when Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet, wool, uh, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. 
In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In verse 18, this is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. Now, when we talk about a covenant or a contract that is, that is put together, we'll say, well, I spilled some ink on that covenant. That, in other words, I, I, I ratified it with my signature. This is the same. Our covenant with God through Christ Jesus, our salvation covenant, is sprinkled by the blood of Jesus to ratify that covenant, to make it irrevocable. By the blood of Jesus Christ, done for us by God. Without the shedding of blood, the scriptures say there is no forgiveness of sins. And without forgiveness of sins, there's no covenant with God made possible. And so when we are defined as people who obey Jesus Christ because of the sanctifying work of the Spirit, because of the selecting work of the Father, we are in fact contracted with God permanently through the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ on us. We are covered in the blood of Christ. This, beloved, is our salvation. This is how our salvation comes to be. We're not just hanging on a thread with God. We are fully and absolutely encompassed in the family of God, selected before time, sanctified before conversion, enabled to obey the gospel, to confess that Jesus is Lord and, and, and publicly witness to that by our baptism that we belong to Christ and then are sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ, ratifying God signs the contract of our permanent and eternal salvation by the blood of Jesus Christ. So that Peter could say to them in their circumstances, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Beloved, for now, right now, our hope is in who we are. Our hope is in whose we are. Our hope is in our faith, in e eternal promises to us that cannot be broken. Our, our hope is not in our circumstances. Our hope is not in our health. Our hope is not in our government. Our hope is not in our job. Our hope is not in our family. Our hope is not in, 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 a, in, a, in a gathering with people. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and our relationship with him who promises us to abundantly bless us with grace and peace every day of our lives. The grace of God means the undeserved favor of God. What Peter is saying here in this blessing on people is saying, and I say it to you this morning, beloved who I love so dearly in the Lord, be graced in abundance. May it be yours in abundance, the undeserved favor of God. And, and we are called upon to expect that to be our glory and our hope. Furthermore, this is a mixture of the Greek culture and the Hebrew culture, grace and peace. The grace from the Greek culture, the peace from the Hebrew culture. The word shalom, meaning, uh, meaning that you might be blessed in all the fullness of God in anticipation 
of the Messianic age. That's what the blessing actually means. That's what it means when Jewish people uh, offer shalom or peace to one another. That's what this means, is the, the full blessing of God in anticipation of the Messianic age. Well, the Messianic age is here. Jesus Christ has come. He has died for us. He has rose again. He is the center of Peter's life. He's the center of my life. He's the center of your life. And so we bring this glorious message of shalom, the full blessings of God, what we need every day. We need the grace of God. We need peace in God every single day. May it be yours in abundance. God wants you to experience that. God wants you to have that, regardless of your circumstance. The grace of God is acting in fullness and abundance. Regardless of your circumstance, the peace of God is acting in its fullness on your behalf. This is not just a quaint good feeling, beloved. This is our reality, our permanent state of being no matter what the situation or circumstances are. This is your hope. Chosen by God for all blessings forever. C.S. Lewis put it this way, do not let your happiness depend on something you may lose. Beloved, the good news is we cannot lose our status with God. Jim Elliot, the missionary who gave, up his, gave his life as a martyr for the cause of Christ, wrote this, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Our hope is not in things. It's not in circumstances. We're not searching for hope. We are the people who have found hope. We are not those who live by optimism that things will change here or things will change there or maybe my vacation will happen and I'm living for that. No, that's not who we are. That kind of optimism kills. We are people who hope in what we have for certain. Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 5.17 and he shared with them the simple reality that life is difficult when he said that death reigns now and sin runs rampant. But for us, our destiny is to reign in life. For now, there's some mess. Our hope is not in relief from that mess. Our hope is in the one who will end the mess forever. Hope is um, dreaming dreams that will come true. Optimism is placing hope in dreams. Optimists die with their dreams, but those who hope in Christ will never die. So beloved, the secret in succeeding in hard times from the introduction to the letters of Peter is to make certain that all of your hope is in the Lord. Our Father and our God, how we thank you for this powerful salutation by the Apostle Peter who leaps out of the gate in his letters with this resounding teaching of security in Christ. Oh God, thank you for this. We love you for 
all that you've done for us and who, whose we are, Lord. Thank you that you called us into your family. Uh, thank you that you brought us to life uh, from death, uh, being dead in our sins. Thank you for enabling us to obey the demands of the gospel and confess that Jesus is Lord. And thank you, Lord, for ratifying the contract of our eternal salvation with the sprinkled blood of Jesus Christ. Father, may your beloved in online land today receive a, a fresh infusion of hope in hard times. I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.